Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. And I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we are watching all the way through Revolutionary Golotena. And the hitch here is that I am a super fan. I've been a fan for many, many years. But Chesney has never seen this show before. She is watching it for the first time with each of you. This time we are on episode seven, Unfulfilled Jury. And once again, we finally have a duel again. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it's been kind of slow getting to all the duels this season, um, at least for me compared to like later seasons. Mm. But yeah, we have another duel this episode. And this one focuses on, I guess, not the, not actually the final me member of the student council, but like one of the last members of the student council that we have to see um, is Jury. Uh, there still hasn't been a fight with Toga yet. So no, we'll get mm -hmm. to him, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I know. And uh, my mind immediately goes to, God, what's next? Are we just going to like Lord of the Flies this? Like, <laughs> are they all just going to be set loose in the high school with swords and like pigs running around or something? Like, <laughs> just like sword fighting in the hallway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's like, like a mass coming... brawl to see who gets uh gets Anthony in the end. <laughs> <laughs> She's like locked herself inside the uh inside the little greenhouse, but there's no escape because again, <laughs> wild pigs are running through the school along with all the brawls. But uh, <laughs> no, but really <laughs> what like we're getting to the end of <clears throat> the student council and I just, I can't help but wonder what's next. So, but in, you know, we'll get to talking about the end of the episode, but um, talking about the spacing, uh, the next episode seems like it's um, some levity, which is definitely much needed from this episode. Because uh, this one was very, um, honest, honestly, it was very emotionally raw. Yeah. Like, Okay, so I get that this is definitely the age at which like these questions first start to come up. But I think mm -hmm. the way that Jury is portrayed as honestly, she is portrayed as being like 23 years old. Like I can't see her as a high schooler the same way that I can everyone else. Like especially in this episode like with that evening gown that she's got on and the way she carries yeah. herself. Um <laughs> I said it during the episode, but they gave Jury MILF energy. And I don't I don't know why they did that. It's very like she's very no nonsense. It's true though. She's very like no nonsense, got this nice robe and like this jewelry laid out. Like she is, is she, MILF energy and she's, she's got like a that, yeah, like Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue MILF. Is, yes. <laughs> yes. Like I expect Jury to, to go home and uh to be living in like a 35th oh. floor condo, you know? Like Yeah. I mean, she's definitely got some kind of like high level uh apartment or I mean, even like she owns one of the like ori like original brownstones or something like that. Right. Like, like she's got like a C-suite job, you know, something yeah. like that. 
she is in no way in no world is this character a high schooler i just no. cannot see it the way i can everybody else um no like, she <laughs> one more thing she reminds me of and this is such a pull but it's the same energy for me as like the bad guy ceo in the halle berry catwoman movie oh my god (laughs) (laughs) like it's very i know what i want (laughs) that is a very deep cut reference there Um, Uh uh-huh mm-hmm I love me some bad Catwoman movies. No offense to anybody who likes that. But <laughs> anyway, back to I the mean, episode. Yeah, like she she kind of does have that Sharon Stone energy to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um anyhow, like what I was the, the point that was <laughs> the point I was trying to make there. Like, even though like this is definitely the time in a person's life, like high school when those questions of sexuality first start like becoming really evident in a person's life um Mm -hmm. like if they didn't already come up they're definitely there by high school um and like we're finally dealing with a character who is processing her own queerness um even though like this is an appropriate age for that in no way does she seem like a 16 year old girl or a 15 year old girl like whatever she's supposed to be in this yeah no again it's very like mom who just went through a divorce and is now like discovering (laughs) that she's queer yeah like like she fell for one of her friends and she's like ah like (laughs) like I get that what they wanted to do here was to portray her as being more mature than the other students, but they overshot that mark by like a full decade. <laughs> they knocked it out of the park. <laughs> I mean, like I understand why she's one of your favorite characters from this episode alone. <laughs> oh yes. Like, don't get me wrong. Jury is my favorite character on the show. Uh, like me dragging her is coming from a place of pure love like <laughs> oh yeah absolutely <laughs> um so yeah so like we open with, with jury um in the the fencing club and she is basically just handing everyone their asses over and over and over again while she is processing like the memory of this conversation she had with a girl and this idea that there's no such thing as miracles. Uh, like, this is where she's coming from. And she's worried whether or not she will have the strength to smash the world's shell. So, like, a very strong opening here of yeah. just setting up a character who we've seen on the sidelines before. Like, they used her to introduce Mickey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now we finally get Jury on her own and showing yeah. that, like, She's a badass who is at the top of her game. I mean, she is not just handing people their ass. She is doing it in record time. <laughs> Seriously. So, uh, I really want like a sound effect for this. Like, I gotta find something. 
Uh, we can <laughs> we can set off the adult alarm again. There's more actual adults in the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this time we have two of them. Uh, I missed what the guy was. Is he the principal? I... The guy was the vice principal. Vice principal. Okay. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. the, the school counselor and the vice principal. Um, which, which, by the way, I'm sorry, but this might go on record as like one of the worst school counselors I've ever seen. Like, oh, <laughs> how in the world? I could see like just general school administrator, but like school counselor. In no way is that woman empathetic. Yeah. So, for the listeners who who don't know and have not like stalked my profiles, uh, <laughs> I'm a <laughs> I'm a trained counselor, <laughs> and so um, I went through my master's degree program with folks who were in the student counseling track, and I know that like guidance counselor as a term has been retired for many many years. But it hangs on in fiction and has for like 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And universally, counselors in schools are portrayed as worse than useless. Yeah. But like, they're not and like haven't been for a long time. Um, a lot of times like... I, I'm just going to get on this soapbox for a minute. Uh, A lot of times it's a matter of school funding, not Mm -hmm. their knowledge or expertise. Um, Like they simply do not have the hours in the day to do all the stuff that they're expected to do, just like teachers. Um, Yeah. And so like it turns into a lot of like processing stuff, like processing folks through a system rather than, one-on-one time a lot of that is changing and has been changing for at least two decades now but a lot of the people who remember their counselors are thinking back to 1985 1995 and Mm -hmm. really aren't there anymore with like what the field is today and like what people are doing today in that role um it is in fact in a lot of places, a lot more mental health focused than it used to be. Um, Which is like overall student health focused. Um, Yeah. And not just like what college are you going to and what career do you want when you get out of school? Like that stuff is like, it's still there, but it is not the primary job and hasn't been for at least 20 years. Um. Anyhow, that is, I'm going to get off that soapbox because, listener, you do not need to hear me rant about my professional field. Um. <laughs> but, but tell me this, you know, riddle me this one. Have you ever once seen a school counselor with a writing crop at school? Uh, no, that is a first for me, and I probably would be filing an ethics complaint. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am totally in support uh, of uh, whatever anyone's kink is, but if if you're bringing it to school, yeah, that's a concern. <laughs> right. And actually, no, didn't we agree last time that like 
a Tory Academy must definitely have an equestrian program. Oh, come on. How could I forget about the equestrian program? That explains <laughs> it. The guidance counselor just came in from the horse track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she's doing animal assisted therapy. Like that's. Or, yeah. Yeah. Come on. That's got to be. It. Yeah. So it's, it's an equestrian therapy uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. treatment modality for the students. Um <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so what? what's actually happening here? Um, jury is talking to uh, the vice principal who wants to talk about like student council business with her. And meanwhile, Utana is getting chewed out by the counselor because Choo Choo snuck along in her lunch to come to school. And they actually call Choo Choo a monkey. Uh, I don't know yeah. if that's like just in the localization. I didn't like go back and play it and then like try and suss out what word they actually used there. But like they call Choo Choo a monkey. Um, and I want to believe that the translator there translated that accurately. So I guess mm-hmm. we kind of have an answer. He's a monkey. Um, mm-hmm. I I still stand by my like monkey mouse demon theory, but yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like Choo Choo is unfortunately Anthe's stand, and um, manifests as a monkey mouse <laughs> demon. <laughs> I can't you know, believe, by the way, I can't <laughs> believe that this is a podcast about Revolutionary Girl Utena, and I have made so many JoJo's references. Who even am I? I'm I'm wondering how you've made so few, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to point out like one other thing about the music, because like this episode especially, I feel like is using the music to its full potential. Oh, yeah. Um, like this is this first scene. They have like that upbeat violin and flute song. Um, if I, if I was so inclined, I could look up what song this actually was. Um, I might do that eventually at some point and then like edit it in later. Um, spoiler, I'm not going to, um, (laughs) 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 but, um, yeah. So like, it's clearly communicating that no matter how angry this counselor is, it is being done for comedic effect. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, Jury then asks to talk to Utna, but Choo Choo is running down the hall, and the counselor's chasing after Choo Choo, and Utna's like, I'm a little too busy for this. So what Jury does, <laughs> and this is, like, some genius-level manipulation bullshit. Yeah, um, what I tell you? Like, this is divorced mom-level manipulation. Like, yeah, this yeah. is insane. <laughs> she sicks the vice principal on the counselor by saying, oh, yeah, no, she wanted to talk to you about some council stuff or something in that room over there with the door closed. And sure enough, they go in there and it starts to sound pretty frisky from the go, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Like, she basically was like, <laughs> she said, I won't repeat myself and just set them up on a date. Like, what yeah. kind of power is that? Can I have that? Like, what is that? 
Like that is indescribable power that jury has in this school. And that is insane. I cannot stress this enough. Yeah. Like this is definitely one of those like show don't tell moments where Mm -hmm. we just see her flex on these teachers. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, they, they dance to her tune and go off and, fuck in a classroom i guess like yeah they go off to get lunch i was like you really set them up on a date like (laughs) and by get lunch we know what we're saying here right (laughs) (laughs) yeah what's on the menu is actually um uh it's (laughs) it's actually the guidance counselor's um stand you know what i'm saying like it's her stand but it's her stand when she's lying down so there you go (laughs) oh my god okay so i can already tell like what kind of episode this is gonna be today um (laughs) so so yeah uh jury was so intent on talking to utana that like she just manipulates these two teachers and then Utana flips it around and like names what just happened like dude you have way more power in this school than anyone else how where is this coming from what is this I heard you got someone fired (laughs) (laughs) yeah she says a teacher will leave if jury looks the wrong way at them yeah (laughs) And Jury's just like, who can say? What did she do, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> what did she do? That's what I want to know. Like, literally, how did you get this level of power? I want to believe that, like, she actually had done nothing. But the rumor started anyway, and she just has leaned into it ever since. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much more than the stereotypical, like, oh, her parents are, you know, super rich and powerful. I love that. Well, that's definitely no, like Toga just... and Nanami's parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Mickey and Kozaway's apparently also. Honestly, mm. I think this is a private school and it's just for super rich kids. Oh, which absolutely. Is, which is a layer of this show that, like, I had never been fully conscious of before. But now that we're doing this, like, close reading of it, it is there dripping from the walls <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're constantly getting the equestrian program shoved in our face so i mean we know that they're rich yeah i mean like this is uh this is like strawberry panic levels of importance on equestrian stuff <laughs> <laughs> um so oh the other thing that happens throughout this episode, and I understand why, you know, it was written this way. It's because of Jury's whole thing. But uh, the whole Utena just randomly going, oh, it's a miracle, like, so many different times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, show. It's getting a little heavy handed. I would understand if maybe, like, throughout the show... So, like, throughout the episode so far, like, she had been kind of peppering that in when something happened. But, uh, no, this is just for the point of this episode. Yeah, that no, was like, the, this, they use the word miracle in the script 
with the cadence that one uses to drive rail spikes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it is just bam, 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 bam. <laughs> and yeah, they they want to make sure that the word miracle is right there on the top of your mind every time something happens. Because Jury is so desperately trying to not believe in them. I don't... I don't quite understand why that is. Oh, well, no, I do. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Me, wouldn't you want a miracle to happen? Also me, no, she's in denial about her feelings, idiot. Me, oh, okay, yeah, all right. This makes sense. So... Speaking of, we finally get like a flashback to um to Shiori. And at the, we don't know who she is yet, but she says, believe in miracles and they will know your feelings. Um, we just see like a flashback face of someone handing her a like light orange yellow or orangish yellow rose. And then we cut to the present day. And suddenly, Anthe is offering Jury a rose of the same color. And, listener, we have yet another slap. I think we went maybe one episode without Anthe being physically assaulted. I think they have made their point. People treat her badly. I know this is a show about sword fighting, and, like, that's violent enough as it is. But, like, slapping someone is a very specific kind of violence, especially when you are surrounding that character with treating them like an object. Right. Like, the narrative is already treating her like a disposable object. Yeah. Um, And, yeah. Yeah, and there's... This, for me, like, looking back on the episode now... (sighs) Jury's behavior is so interesting to me because, you know, when she wants to talk to Utena, she manufactures that whole experience um, to get some time alone with her. And the way, like, the way that she's presenting herself up until this point, and even in, you know, the past episodes that we've seen her, what little we've seen of her, she's been presented as this very, like, you know, in the context with Mickey, it was like she doted on him, seemed very close with him, um, and she just seems like a mature, serene woman. Sure, we have that manipulative moment. I say woman, she's still a child. <laughs> I keep yeah, forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, She's the show has been manufacturing her so far as this like mature young woman. And the way like the difference in how she her interest is piqued by Utena and her interaction with Anthe and her going slapping her and going, don't get too familiar with me. Yeah. is so interesting. I don't know, it's like it's 
it's reminiscent for me of like a tiger playing with their food. If that makes sense. Like with Utena, she's yeah, um, now that you say it like that. Yeah, I I can see that. Yeah, she's like purposefully predatory. Not in I mean, not in like a weird way, but like again with the manipulation of their interaction and time together. And like wants to engage and interact with her. But the minute somebody makes a move against her that she doesn't care for, that she wasn't like preying on, if you will, then it's like an instant claws out swipe to the face. Yeah. Or also like, there's a part of me that wants to see like some good injury. Oh yeah. This idea that, Anthe giving her a gift makes Anthe a person to her. Mm. And she can't have that while also needing Anthe to be her means. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is like, it's looking at people like it's looking at people like they're tools instead of like they're people like pawns instead of people. And, like, if she starts to see Anthe as a person, then that puts in jeopardy her entire plan of getting the power of miracles. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this whole thing for her is expressing her feelings to somebody. Yeah. And this episode is actually, like, really cagey about who she's trying to express her feelings to. Um, like, granted, watching this in 2021 and... <laughs> From the start, having a very queer lens to be viewing this through. Obviously, we're all going like, well, duh, it's Shiori. (laughs) But the way they set it up in this episode, it is not entirely clear whether. Like, it's not as clear to a naive viewer as it is to all of us who have been fans for a long time or who are coming at this from a 2021 sensibility around queerness. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it was deliberately ambiguous in, in the telling of this episode, like whether this was about Shiori or Ruka Um, and they don't actually say Ruka's name in this episode. I'm just jumping ahead by 30 episodes and telling you his name is Ruka. He'll come Damn, <laughs> 30 episodes? <laughs> or uh, 20, I think. Something like that. Like 20 episodes from now, Ruka will be coming back. Um, oh my god. <laughs> and yeah, he took a level in badass when he was gone. Uh, he comes back. He's got his own rose color. His hair is uh, conveniently the same color as his rose. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like a proper character when he comes back. Um, oh shit okay yeah (laughs) they give him a name finally when he comes back yeah I just automatically assume that any side character that's ever brought up and doesn't have like the little rose overlay I'm like yeah we'll never see you again (laughs) yeah and actually like you can see from the way he was drawn in this episode the writers didn't expect to bring him back immediately yeah like or there was a miscommunication there about 
how to draw him if he was going to be a named character. So I like mm-hmm. I'm going with the theory that they just didn't plan on bringing him back ever because they keep yeah. the focus entirely on Shiori. Yeah. Um, which is also like another tipping of the hand that like he's actually not important in this story at this moment. Mm-hmm. And that it is Shiori that Juri is in love with. Um, yeah. And I mean, the show even got me with the, ooh, who's it going to be? Like, again, from the 2021 and from a queer perspective, just the way that things were planning out and the way that she was thinking and the way that they still put Shiori in the forefront. I was like, okay, this is probably gay. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is probably gay. But I still wasn't 100% sure as the episode played out until we got, you know, to the reveal. Yeah. So, so we kind of like do jumped a good ahead job a- of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Like all of this stuff with Ruka and Shiori is taking place during a student council meeting. There's a flashback to it. Oh God. This was the best student council meeting. <laughs> this was the, this was the best one. Listen, the group bro- broke out their Utena bracket, like March Madness Utena bracket. Yes. I and- love it. <laughs> And uh, they had like a whole Togas throwing knives to tr- like, I guess, Miss Mickey. I guess he wasn't trying to hit him. He did a great job of it. <laughs> it was very like circus acty and like. Right. <laughs> March Madness bracket. It cracked me up. Yeah, he's throwing knives like darts at this at this bracket that they've drawn up. And there's this one shot that is so beautiful is just Mickey posing like he's deep in thought and there is just an outline of knives perfectly tracing his figure. <laughs> it's so good. So here we find out another student council member's stand, which is Toga has um, infinite knives. So I don't know if you just want to call that like knives out, infinite knives. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, But yeah, that that's his stand just for the record. <laughs> so I love it. Um <laughs> So uh Toga eventually asks like do you really want to disprove miracles? Like is this really why you're fighting? You are so deep in denial, girl. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um and then finally is like uh, Mickey, I, I think it was Mickey. I wrote it down. I, I want to say it was Mickey. Where he says, you know, it must be hard not to be able to tell them your feelings. And Jury's reaction is basically like, you shut your whore mouth. Like, <laughs> that, is not, <laughs> that is not your place to talk to me about that. <laughs> um, which harkens back to, like, the whole Mickey episodes where, like, mm-hmm. his whole weird thing with Kozue and you know finding his shining thing and basically everyone is in denial about something if you're on the student council like that's how you get there is like you're in denial of something um (laughs) when uh when they have their like school entrance ceremony the student council is just like on the fucking stage like scanning the crowd for anybody who looks like they're just too engrossed in their own like traumatic experiences to be paying attention 
And that's how they pick out the new student council members. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then the end of the world sends them their letter and they ride the elevator. And congratulations, you are now enrolled in the duels. Congratulations, (laughs) you never had to climb the fucking 12 million flights of stairs. Congratulations, you got the elevator pass or key or yeah. whatever. You never have to walk stairs in this building ever again. <laughs> so I, I do want... <laughs> Anyhow, I do want to actually like explain a little bit about what actually happens in this flashback. Mm-hmm. Because Jury does say, actually, I was in love. And then we get this flashback that first cuts to like it fades through the image of shiori and then shows her dueling with ruka meanwhile shiori utters the line uh believe in miracles and they'll know your feelings and at least right now um like this line is clearly saying like if you believe in miracles, Ruka will know that you love him. And then we go through Shiori's plot to uh, to take Ruka away from Juri. To split them up so that Shiori can be with Ruka. And again, like all of this is strongly implying that the person that uh, the, the person that Juri was in love with was Ruka. That is not the case, but the episode is like leaning us toward that conclusion so that way they can do like the big reveal at the end. Obviously, if you are accustomed to queer shipping everyone you ever see in media, you, you know you have already bought your ticket to the uh shiori and jury cruise ship so (laughs) so like it doesn't come as a surprise more as like validation at the end of the episode but they are trying to like nudge us toward thinking that ruka is the one that jury's actually interested in and that like this is a huge betrayal to to take him away from her instead it was Damn it, now you're a couple and I can't have you. Yeah, and here's what I don't understand. If you three were friends, just friends from the beginning, like what, it must have been something like an insecurity of Shiori's, like feeling like maybe she was going to lose one of them, either one of them, Um, which, I mean, this really adds a whole like, it's not even a layer to buy panic. It's to like, you just like threw yourself down a pit of buy panic and like did the absolute wrong <laughs> thing to do, which was uh, preemptively go for one of your friends and the one that may wasn't interested in you from the beginning and left the one that was, yeah. I don't know. It just seems really strange that she would do that because it, how did she not pick up on like, I know again, there's like disaster gay tropes and stuff, but like, how did you not pick up on the fact that like, that jury was in love with you? But like, that's actually the thing, right? That jury is so closeted that she needs uh, the power of Dios to express her feelings to Shiori. 
Got it. Even though, like, at the same time, the entire student council already knows that Juri is gay, 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 gay. (laughs) 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 Like, they all know. And, like, no one really comments on it too much in this episode, but they know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that denial of her feelings, too. I wrote down um, when she was talking to the student council... She says, yes, I was in love, but I knew that the love could never go anywhere. And I'm like, oh, God, that is so sad. Like, nothing is ever, nothing is ever that set in stone unless there was, like, some history of abuse, you know, like, something, unless something, like, really went wrong, like, somebody was abusive, um, there was like other traumatic experiences involved. Like there's no reason for, there's no reason to just outright rule it out. But again, like you said, she can't reconcile with herself that she had those feelings um, for another girl. Yeah. But that's just so sad. But at the same time, like this show is from 1997 and like we are on like a completely different planet from where we were in 1997 on queer issues yeah and like self-acceptance and all of that like it is like it's hard to communicate to anyone who is i would say like younger than 25 just how different things are from how they were even 15 years ago and like the media of the 90s was for the very first time talking about it in a way that wasn't a tragedy that wasn't a um a mistake or a reason to kill a character off like jury doesn't die that is i know this is japanese media but like that's fairly transgressive for the 90s. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. You have a gay character who doesn't die. Um, like the barrier gaze trope was alive and well in 2010. Um, and so, like, I give a lot of leeway to, like, how deeply closeted jury is, how oblivious shiori is um just because like it wasn't just like in the cultural milieu in the same way that it is now like these days if you say if you these days like if you're playing overwatch and you tell someone you're gay their response is going to be yeah i am (laughs) (laughs) as they should (laughs) like that's how different it is now compared to then yeah. And so like it, it can be hard to keep that in mind when like when we're looking back this far on an episode that tackles this topic directly, like how much it had to be tiptoed around even in the telling of the story. Um compared to like now where in the first 30 seconds, we would have known that this crush was on a girl and it would be an entire episode about her hemming and hawing about it. 
like so like i i both get the trauma piece and also like being gay in the 90s was a trauma yeah that's the second time this episode i've just totally jumped on a soapbox and ran um <laughs> uh you're fine i've been over here making up stands <laughs> Like, you're good. <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of, like, the poor listener who has to, like, listen to Autumn preach at them for this entire episode. Anyhow. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's what you signed up for. So we have this moment where Utena's on her way back from class, which she's got to have a night class or something. Like, classes at the <laughs> school must go absurdly late because... She is walking back from class and trying to, she's trying to get Choo Choo to go to sleep. Like you walk with a baby to get them to go to sleep. Yeah. You know, can I say something here? I, I'm going to put on my tinfoil hat for another tinfoil hat conspiracy time with Chesney. The way that she's carrying Choo Choo it's like isn't she carrying choo-choo on her back like you would like a child or something yeah kind of <laughs> is choo-choo like when anthe regresses like oh and you you can't tell me oh. this <laughs> you can't tell me this but i almost wonder if choo-choo is anthe regressing um to you know cope with whatever happened to her i don't know what it is i will find out through this show but um it's obvious that something big has happened to her um and i'm like is this her reverting back to like a childlike stage where or like a toddler almost where um she, there's no responsibility there's no like anything she can just like run around like for example, run through the, the schools of the hallway, but it can't be her exactly. I So I wonder if it's just like a metaphor for her regressive state that like she just wants to run through the halls and like act like a like a child, like a wild child. Uh, and, you know, has to be corralled by like the guidance, guidance counselor and by Utena. I, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that's what the show is doing. And again, very well may not be. Very well just me be that Choo Choo is there to help progress the plot and, you know, be a plot device. And that's totally fine. But this is just my tinfoil hat time and I will put it away now. No, the this right here is exactly why I talked you into this podcast. Because, like, <laughs> I want to hear your kookiest tinfoil hat bullshit because... You are the one who has not seen this up or this show before. And so you have that like raw, naive perspective on all of this. And you can just theorize from whatever we have so far. I am burdened with knowing what happens next. And so I cannot, <laughs> I can't go as far down that rabbit hole with you without tripping on like do i say something or do i not because if i say something that might give something away if i don't say something then that very pointedly tells you that like oh that isn't what happens or oh uh i'm on the wrong track or oh i'm on the right track you know like yeah <laughs> so you having these moments where you put on your tinfoil hat i want it i want to hear every single one of these <laughs> crackpot theories because um 
this is what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. We are not here well, to listen to me just like soapbox about the 90s. Um, we are here to... <laughs> We're here for like this raw take on this show and like the true fan theories that can come about when you don't know what happens next. Yeah, I mean, I just for me, I can't wait until we can, you know, however many episodes from now we can <laughs> talk about these tinfoil hat conspiracy moments, um, because, again, I have no doubt that like things will be revealed in time. But we'll just be able to be like, oh, yeah, Choo Choo was blah, 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 blah. I'm I cannot wait to have the conversation about, hey, so was Choo Choo actually like Anthe's like <laughs> reverting back to her childhood <laughs> or like what? <laughs> I mean, we'll have to wait and see, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. But even like the way that she the way that Utena is carrying choo-choo around and it's like oh gosh you can't you're afraid of the dark like oh well I just gotta like get you to go to sleep it's very much like she's taking care of a child which is the only reason why that switch flipped on in my brain of is that actually Anthe like is choo-choo a stand-in for Anthe but there's no way that that could be a thing I don't think anyway we can move on past the tinfoil hat moment (laughs) So she finds Jury sitting by the side of this fountain and asks her... In all her MILF glory. Right. First of all. She is sitting (laughs) on this fountain's ledge in a white nightgown. Her hair is down. It falls in just like the most glorious, natural, wavy curls. And (laughs) Utena even calls it out and says, like, you look like a supermodel. Like, I can't lie. Like, you're hot. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the the music during this scene is like this haunting, this ethereal keyboard and flute. Or like maybe a recorder. Like, um, it's like a keyboard and flute sound. And they're having this heart to heart talk. And Jury's like, so why do you wear a boy's uniform? And so Utena opens up to her and tells her the story of, like, her history of, like, I met this prince when I was younger, and he gave me this ring. And Jury hears the word miracle in this story, and it's like, um, uh, like, the Kill Bill alarm goes off in her head. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) And she just, like... Starts, uh, she grabs Utena and just starts throttling her and tries to take the ring off and says, like, throw this thing away. Because if dueling for the Rose Bride is stupid, like, they talked about it being stupid earlier in the episode. Like, if dueling for the Rose Bride is stupid, then this nobility of yours is just as stupid. Throw this ring away. And she's like, show me, th- fine, show me the power of this miracle you've got, you know, Whatever it is. Um, Because again, Jury is still in denial about how much she wants this power of miracles. Yeah, she says, 
I'll force the proof of a miracle from you with my sword. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she, the, like you said, the kill bill sirens go off and the way that she just like switches immediately um, from this composed, serene, mature young woman to unhinged, quite frankly, uh, <laughs> is because of her own inner tor- turmoil, but like, I mean, poor Utana, like, is just so thrown off Yeah, <laughs> doesn't know what to do and is suddenly having to, once again, fight for her life <laughs> from a student council member and, like, literally has to kick her off. Yeah. Like, this is probably, I think, the most violent dual challenge yet yeah um definitely like the most aggressive as angry as um sayonji was in that like second episode trying to take her back Mm -hmm. um like it was never at the level that jury is at right now in this moment no and then we have like what is what I consider to be one of the weirdest transitions I have seen in this show. And it goes from this intense scene with um, Utena and Jury to Anthe alone in a classroom doing this little dance with her fingers and like talking about the rabbits dance all around. Yeah. And once again, points to my, I hate to say it, but points to my tinfoil hat conspiracy of what the hell is going on with this girl. She is like regressing in these moments. Uh, (laughs) Well, I I think that on some level, that moment of showing her, like they could have just as easily not shown that shot. No, they skipped over it. So why did they include it? Yeah, they, they could have just as easily not had that in there. What that tells me is like they are trying to tell you as an audience member, like you as a viewer, remember that Anthe exists and they are forgetting she exists. <laughs> hmm. Like yeah. all of this is happening around her and because of her, but without her. Yeah, without her as a person being involved. Yeah. So then we have the Shadow Girls. And Mm -hmm. the Shadow Girls this time are talking about, uh, like one of them is is talking about how uh, there's a trip to the zoo and they are just complaining about the zoo and how boring the zoo is. They only have boring animals and they list off a bunch of animals and they say like, why couldn't they have a cool animal, like a panda or something? And the other shadow girl, or she says, and I won't waste my time. And the other shadow girl just calls her right out on it and says, you really wanted to go to the zoo, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, Something for me that was, the shadow girls, I feel like, <sighs> they serve two purposes. You know, they're getting at 
the point. But also, I feel like the Shadow Girls are there to make you uneasy on some level. Um, Again, that's just my opinion. But the shot when the Shadow Girls are telling the story, one of them's primarily complaining about the zoo. It The shot focuses on a rope swinging back and forth. And that's it. And like you hear the sound of it like creaking and but that's all you see. You don't see them in the shot. You just see the shadow of a rope swinging back and forth. And immediately I was like, I swear to God, if they pull back and sorry, suicide trigger warning. If one of them has like a noose around their neck, I can't handle (laughs) this. Like I can't. (laughs) But it was like, I don't know if that was just me personally, but it was There's just something about the Shadow Girls and not just in this particular moment that makes me uneasy. I mean, yeah, they they exist to do uh, to disrupt things that way while also commenting on them. And I, I feel like it might be an open question of whether the Shadow Girls are alive. Oh, yeah. I don't think they are. I think it's just puppets that somebody's doing. (laughs) It's like a Phantom of the Opera situation where they have like the Phantom in the basement of the school and um, he's just like running around making up his own like puppet shows about what the hell's going on at the time. (laughs) That's what I feel like (laughs) is happening. No one is allowed to write in and spoil any of that for for Chesney. So, Man, that wasn't even supposed to be a tinfoil hat, Tom. <laughs> that was just supposed to be a joke. <laughs> so, um, but like the point that they're making, though, in this episode is all about envy, right? Like here we have one of the girls. Or denial. Well, I, in, yeah, yeah envy go with, or denial. I mean, go with me on this. Like, mm-hmm. um. One of them is clearly calling out that the other is envious of those who are. Because I, I say go with me uh, on this because like the two are linked, right? Yeah. The, one mm-hmm. of them clearly is calling out the um, the envy that the other one is feeling. Mm-hmm. That like she is envious that she is not on the school trip to the zoo also. And so instead she goes the other way and as a defense mechanism the denial kicks up and the rejection, the um, the disdain for the zoo becomes her way of deflecting that feeling of having actually wanted it. Yeah. Just like Jury is now disdainful of miracles because she doesn't have the power of them the way that Utena does. Even though deep yeah. down, that is what Jury actually wants. She says she wants to disprove them because if they disprove them, or if, if she can disprove miracles, then that means there was never a chance that Shiori would know how she felt. However, if miracles do exist and Jury just doesn't have that power, then it is Jury's failure not some metaphysical absence of the existence of miracles or something like that. Yeah. So like her way of defending herself here is to say, 
yeah, it would have taken a miracle and miracles don't exist. And I'm going to prove they don't exist because anything short of that means I failed. Oof. Yeah. But that's, oh man. (sighs) I mean, that's just, that's just life. But she can't face it. So I get it. I mean, again, like, of course, I mean, she's a teenager. So, of course, she's taking this stance to it. Like, I can't, I can't even face the fact that I could have failed. They're all doing that, right? Like, yeah. um, Well, and Juri especially. Well, Sionji wants um, something eternal because he can't cope with death. And... Mickey wants his shining thing because without it, he doesn't think he's special enough. Mm-hmm. And like his life doesn't have meaning or something like that. And here's Jury who wants to disprove miracles because she can't face the fact that she chickened out on telling uh, Shiori how she felt when there was a chance to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's... It's the... She's so perfect, you know, but like she says in the beginning, you know, she's so good at fencing. She's so good at blah, blah, blah. But what does she have to even show for it? Right. And then the duel happens. It's so good, y'all. I mean, definitely the best duel so far. As far as like the animation of the sword fighting and the emotion in it. So good. I will say hands down, this is my favorite duel in the entire series. Um, like the way the way that Jury just absolutely manhandles, or in this case, woman handles Utana, like just absolutely tossing her around the ring, yeah. running circles around her. So I want to go back. Like the opening of yeah. this duel is Jury saying. You know what? If you win this by some miracle, you deserve your conceit. Like, there is no possible way Jury should lose this duel. She is the most skilled fighter in the school. And she's like, you know what? If you win this by some miracle, fine. (laughs) 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 And uh, Utena is like, Oh, shit. I didn't write down what she said. Never mind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like. So. The fight starts and she is just tossing Utena around and at one point physically just pushes her back and and laughs. And I love hearing this in the um the original japanese because the way this voice actress carries this disdain in her voice when she says daijobu ojisama is so perfect it is so perfect <laughs> she's saying are you all right little prince uh, yeah <laughs> and like oh the disdain just the sneer in her voice when she says it is so perfect. She's like, you know what? I'm not letting this duel end so quickly. I came here to fight. 
I'm going to have some fun. Let's go around again. (laughs) Yeah. Like there were so many moments where she could have cut off her rose. Like she could have just done it and had been an over, like had it be over with, but no, she's literally, like I said earlier, it's a tiger playing with their food. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we get this brief flashback to the shot of uh, Juri, Shiori, and Ruka with that red line connecting them. And, like, you can see in this moment, Juri's focus breaks. She's up in her head with the memories again. Just as, like, the final clash happens between... Uh, the power of Dios, which possesses Utena, and Juri starts her final thrust. And we've gotten used to this already. We've seen it happen over and over again, where as soon as Utena is possessed by the power of Dios, um, they don't even have to animate it. She just wins the duel. Like they'll put like a rose over the front of it or something so they don't have to show it. But this time, they actually show in slow motion as Juri deflects the sword and completely disarms Utena while Utena is using the power of Dios. That is how good she is as a duelist. It's so good. It is such a good scene. It's such a good moment. And here I want to like just briefly parallel again at the beginning of the episode, you see her fighting people and handing them, handing them their ass immediately. Like it's within five seconds y'all. And whereas here, when she fights Utena, she is brutal. She's taking her emotions out on Utena. She's feeling, whereas, you know, at the beginning when she's going through in like the fencing duels, um, she's really not letting herself think she's thinking about it, but she's not letting herself really go, like let the emotions and the memories go uh, and take her along for the ride. She's focused. She's disciplined here. When she's fighting Utana, she is like ripping that wound right open. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Um, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's seeing her finally start to let go and just be raw. Yeah, and you can see just how much anger is seething beneath the surface for Jury. Like, we got, like, a little bit of it in the fountain scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got a lot of it in the fountain scene, I'll be honest. Uh (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, like, we see in this moment that, like, that isn't an aberration. She's got, like, a Bruce Banner and Hulk thing going on. Jury is boiling all the time with this resentment and when she's fighting Utena, she lets it out. But just as she thinks it's over, I think she even says like, it's over. Um, she has Utena at her mercy sword pointed directly at her chest. And sure enough, the sword of Dios comes plummeting from the sky and cuts right through Jury's rose and severs it from uh from her from her coat. 
and the shock on Juri's face is priceless. Because even yeah. after that ridiculous coincidence happens, she's like, nope, nope, wasn't a miracle. Wasn't a miracle. No miracle happened. Nothing to see here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and Toga, like, it's told in voiceover at this point, but like Toga's like, you really won't believe in miracles, even after that. <laughs> yeah. So we close on a shot of Jury under a tree, opening the locket. And finally, the show reveals to us that it was Shiori that Jury was in love with the entire time. And again, the power of that reveal would be so much more impactful uh, in the 90s. Like, I mean, it was certainly more impactful for me the first time I saw this, this series years and years and years ago. So, like, I still remember how how much it hit me and how much meaning it had when I saw that the locket actually had Shiori's picture in it. Um, granted, today, like, we kind of expect that. Uh, but when this show was made and when I saw it for the first time, um, that, that shot, that reveal hit exactly as hard as, as it was intended to. Which is part yeah. of why, to this day, I still love Jory. Yeah. Oh, bless her. And, like, the other thing I want to point out here, too, is, like, Jury is the closest to Utana in terms of motivation. Right? Like, they are both fighting for someone they love just from very different perspectives like jury wants to be able to express her feelings which is ultimately a, a very noble goal just like utana which is also why she is so angry at utana's nobility because she can see it in herself that that nobility has been corrupted just from time and resentment like yeah. she hates it in utana because she still sees her own potential has been subverted in some way mm -hmm. and um you know utana herself is fighting for uh anthe's freedom but we'll see later like that that is still objectifying anthe and the show is not shy about calling utana out on that once we get to that point um which is why I say, like, Jury and Utana are the two, like, most equal in terms of deservingness as far as winning all of this. The guys all kind of suck. Like, even, <laughs> even Mickey. Like, the guys all kind of suck on that level. Um, <laughs> you know, like, you can see <laughs> a little bit more perviness in it, um, especially from Toga. Um, yeah. And, like, you've got the whole abuser thing with Sionji where, like, all he wants is someone he can dominate because yeah. he is so clearly inferior to Toga, he needs to take it out on the next person down, which is, in this case, Anthe. Um, yeah. But Juri has a noble goal. But it's been frustrated for however long she's been at this school. 
And so now there's just the resentment of seeing a new person coming in and succeeding where she has failed time and again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I said, well, you definitely feel for her, but I really do think she's one of the most interesting characters so far. De- like, arguably more interesting than Utena. <laughs> <laughs> Just because we don't really know much about Utena, except like, yeah, you're an orphan. Yeah, your parents died. You were saved by a prince ball in a cemetery, blah, blah, blah. Like, I feel like what we learn we about really... Utena is from her actions over the course of the show more than we get, like, real backstory. Oh, yeah. For sure. I just mean, like, at this point in time, the actual heroine is not the most interesting person in this story. (laughs) (laughs) She probably will be over time, but not right now. And who knows, like... I don't know. I'm interested to see because I, I... feel like from something you've said before and also just the way that it left off, I don't think that that's jury's last time around. I mean, she's on the student council for goodness sake. Like she'll be, she'll come back, you know, they'll have like a group deal, deal, duel where they all try to like, (laughs) where they all just gang up on Utena and try to like fight her that way. (laughs) It's a no holds barred duel. You know, it's not a gentleman's duel anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so next episode, what do you think? Oh, first of all, I love that we're getting a Freaky Friday moment. Yes. <laughs> and it's because of curry somehow. <laughs> like, I'm so looking forward to the next episode, not only because it's going to bring some much needed levity, but also just because of the sheer level of shenanigans that we're about to get into. Oh, yes. Um Nanami, I think, makes a return in the next episode. I think I saw her. For sure. Yes. (laughs) Nanami will be there. Um, So for the listener, Chesney and I are in a group chat along with a couple of other friends of ours. And the Curry incident has been a topic in that group chat several times in the last couple of years. Chesney's about to finally find out what the Curry incident is. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You say this. I had forgotten until this very moment. (laughs) Uh, Conveniently, my brain had blocked it out. Um, I still don't even know what it is. I think I remember you before we started recording last time. You were like, oh, is this the Curry episode? And I had totally forgotten until yeah because like i knew it was in here like in this episode range i i couldn't remember the exact number well i love that it's infamous you know she's got a reputation so good for her uh i mean i can't wait to watch it there's like two episodes that just mentioning the name or like not even the names just like mentioning a reference to them will have any utena fan completely floored with it like uh and that is the curry incident and the cowbell 
And no, I will not be explaining the cowbell yet. <laughs> You're going to have to wait <laughs> to find out what the cowbell means. That's uh, <laughs> totally fine. And I guarantee you that, again, the next time it comes up or when it actually comes around, I will have forgotten. <laughs> it's like mentioning the it's like mentioning the fire drill to an office fan. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, yeah. like, mm-hmm. oh, that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> there's a couple of, like, standout episodes as far as humor goes, and the curry and the cowbell are, are up there, and so you're about to experience the curry episode. I'm so excited. All right. Uh, where can folks find us? So, from let's see, for my own personal stuff, you can pretty much find me at Car Cutie on any, anything, um, Twitter, Twitch. Um, I almost said Tumblr. <laughs> no. Uh- <laughs> had this show TikTok. come out like like had this podcast come out like ten years ago? Yes, we would have absolutely been on Tumblr. But no, <laughs> no, we are not doing that now. <laughs> right? No, no, no. So. Twitter, Twitch, TikTok. Yeah, that's me. Um, I'm our... at Life in Neon on like all the same sites. Uh, one word, Life in Neon at uh, the, the Twitter, Twitch. Um... Oh, yeah. Instagram for me, too. <laughs> yeah, I forget about Instagram. But yeah, Instagram for me, too. <laughs> uh, you can find the podcast at Zetai Unme Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at absolutedestinyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, please send us in listener mail. Uh, we will do a mailbag episode as soon as we have enough. Or if we start getting a ton of it, we'll just do some like every episode. <laughs> like, I don't know how, that, how that'll work. But reach out to us. Uh, we love hearing from you. Um, follow us on, on Twitter for all of our like spiciest retweets of the rest of the Utena community. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> That's definitely getting left in. <laughs>